Good morning. Good morning. Very excited for this message. In prayer time in the office before first service, I was just saying that I'm very excited for this message. And, and Pastor Nathan goes, yeah, I heard you, you know, going over your notes in your office the other day. And I was like, oh my goodness, who's, getting, who's in trouble? Who's getting yelled at? <laughs> I was like, no one's getting yelled at. It's very, very excited about this message. This message is uh, the last message in our Ephesians series, Holy Spirit-filled lives. And uh, it's all about standing in his mighty power. So let's just jump right in. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Let's pray. Jesus, we are fully aware that we cannot stand on our own. Lord, even now, would you reveal more of your manifest presence, that we would taste you and see you in your goodness, that we could hear and see how to stand in your mighty power, that you would teach us this morning another lesson, how to stand in your power and what that means. Lord, would my words be your words? Would they be powerful, dynamic? Would they pierce all of our hearts, my heart included? And would you continue to transform us into your, the image of your son? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this message is called Enough, and for those of us that know Ephesians at all, we know Ephesians 6 is all about the armor, it's all about spiritual warfare, and um, but this morning's message isn't so much about the armor. It's not even so much about the battle because we know all about the battle. We already know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And often we don't feel like we are standing. Often, maybe, we're more overwhelmed, beaten down, discouraged than we even want to admit. And so this message is not a hype message. This message is not, come on, stand in God's mighty power, let's do this, and... Because we know those messages like last for about five minutes. It's all true. It's true. We need to stand in his mighty power. And there's nothing more powerful than Jesus, than the hand of God. But to just say a bunch of really, frankly, charismatic, encouraging words is not going to help us live this out. Nothing wrong with inspiration. I love inspiration. I love to be inspired. I mean, that's why, well, uh, as a guy, I love Braveheart. You know? Let's go to war. I'm so tired of the enemy. I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of him in my life. I'm so tired of him in my family's life 
so tired of him in my friend's life. I'm so tired of him in the city. So there is an aspect of standing in his power where we have to get a little enough is enough in our spirit. Right? Like we ha- we, if we're so passive and we're like, well, I'm going to stand in God's mighty power and, you know, maybe something's going to happen. Like, okay, you, you know, maybe. So there is an element where we have to draw the line and we have to say, enough is enough is enough is enough. Right? Otherwise, we're just going to keep passively being waylaid or in our passivity, we're going to be being waylaid. We have to stand. We have to take a stand. And we have to say enough is enough. We have to have a little bit, you know, that Gandalf. You shall not pass, you know, that thing. But then again, even in that, aren't we relying on our own strength? Like, I love those movies. They inspire me. They, they encourage me and they make me want to rise up. Which is so good. But where do we go from there? We have to draw a line. We have to take a stand and draw the line and say, enemy, here, and no more. And you're like, Joe, I've done that for 40 years. And the enemies continue to cross that line. And I've tried to make a line. But for real, for real, the Lord wants you to know he is the one that draws this line on our behalf. He says, enough. He rises up and stands up and comes rushing to his children's defense. And even then, that, again, that sounds very hypey. Because if we were really honest, is that our everyday experience? I know it's not my everyday experience. And I've experienced a ton of victory in my life. A ton. Compared to where I was 18 years ago, and yet there are still things that plague my mind and actions. But I don't want to remain in the Romans 7 doing all the doo-doo things, and I want to get into Romans 8 and live from that place. Okay, so also very inspiring, Joe, but the other thing with the line is that as much as the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy, we must ask ourselves, how often do we step over the line and go into sin willfully? If we're going to be victorious, not perfect, victorious, we can't open the door to the enemy and step in and say, come on, come on in. We have to be serious. Enough is enough. As much as that means towards the enemy attacking and steal and just trying to destroy our lives, we have to have that attitude towards sin itself. Enough, Joe. Enough of that. Not in condemnation, not in shame, not as woe as me, but Joe, enough. Enough of that. Come on, buddy. And our, our positive self-talk isn't going to do it, but David spoke to his soul. Why are you so downcast? What's going on inside of you? And he says, I will yet put my hope in him. So when all these things are going on, we do need to talk to our souls and be like, hey, what's going on in there? Knock it off. But that even, even in that, that's still not going to get us into a place of standing and being victorious. 
But it is the first step. We do need to rise up and say enough is enough and take a stand and draw the line and make it very clear. Here and no more. And then for ourselves to back away from that line, like I don't want to be anywhere near that line. I want to be in his kingdom where there's peace, joy, and I'm clothed in his righteousness and, and, I'm, and I'm, maybe I need to wash my feet once in a while because I, I stepped in a little mud puddle, but I am so far from that line that the things of his kingdom, those promises of his kingdom, are my usual experience. So to take a stand in his mighty power, what, what does that mean? Because obviously we talk about armor, and that's a great message. All the different pieces of armor, you know, and what they mean and represent. Great message, not today's message. Because even those pieces are just ideas and symbolism to express and explain the reality of our identity in him. That helmet of salvation is the assurance that no lie, no demon, nothing can take my salvation away. It's who I am. It's part of my identity. No one can take that. All the different pieces are part of our identity. And if all it is is mental assent and some knowledge of understanding, but not the actuality of transformation and my identity still in my old self... That armor isn't going to do anything. Those ideas need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, by His grace. Those realities changing us, changing our stinking thinking, changing how we are, which then changes the fruit and actions of our life. It's all about identity. So as we take a stand, it's really about coming into an alignment with who we are, who Jesus says we are in Him. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in Jesus, or we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why are we not losing heart? Because we're carrying around in us the life of Jesus. We know we're just a bunch of clay pots. We know we're nothing special. But the power, his life in us and flowing through us is the most dynamic thing in the world that any of us can encounter or experience. That's how we can say, therefore... We, we know apart from him, we don't measure up. We know we're not enough. And Jesus is like, I am. You don't have to be. I am enough. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Like that just, that gets me the enough. That gets me that enough is enough. Right? That's, that's now not becoming hype. That's, this is the truth. The God of the universe who became flesh who died on the cross, who overcame death, his very spirit dwells inside of me. Who shall be against me? Okay, maybe that is a little hypey. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You know, this last August, I turned 40, which is still pretty young, but I'm telling you, my body is not what it was at 25. For those of you that have a decade or two or three or four beyond me, this, this passage holds a little more weight for you. We are wasting away outwardly. But you, more than the rest of us, those that have lived and walked with him, have experienced and know the renewing, the day by day, renewing and revitalizing, happening in your sp- spirit and in your soul. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what on what is on on what is unseen. So we get that fight in our spirit. We get a little bit of that, you know what? I I'm done with this. Enough. Enough. And then we take a stand. You know, get a little attitude like, forget you, Satan. And use some other words. I don't know. I'm not going to. Enough. Take a stand. Stand in his mighty power. And you're like, well, Joe, still all of that has been exactly what you said this message is not going to be. That's all still hype to me because I'm not experiencing that. It's true. It's true for me. You can ask my wife, my kids, though I have more victory than I've ever had in my life, I still have places of bondage in my mind. I still have things in my soul that need to be healed and restored and made new. So is this hopeless? Like, Joe, I, okay, like you're, now you're kind of agreeing that there's, what's the hope? Because I can't stand how you're talking. I've cried out thousands of times for his help. There's a couple nuances in the next few things that I'm going to say that I hope. And I think a lot of us will understand and have experienced these in different ways and different moments in our life. But these, these nuanced things, these subtle, subtle switches of perception hopefully will help us. So when we talk about standing and taking a stand in his mighty power, what in the world does that even mean? Because so far that just sounds like a bunch of charismatic hype. I kind of like that hype, Joe. So do I. That's why I'm preaching this message. But, you know, I'm making a little joke about that, but the reality is do we really... Like living in sin? No, none of us do. Do we like being trapped by pain and wounds and memories? No. So when we talk about standing in his mighty power, the revelation or the the switch of thinking is that his mighty power is actually his love. His love is the most powerful thing in the whole world. God is love. 
His very presence is love. His love is the most powerful thing. Now in our culture, of course, we know we have to define love, but we're, we're going to do a little presumption today and just say we all understand what, what God's love is, according to Scripture. But here are some very general scriptural truths. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. For the joy sent before him, meaning Jesus, he endured the cross. He just loves us so much. He was willing to become a man, be brutally murdered, falsely accused, chose to lay down his life. He said, no man takes it from me. And then overcame death. For us. So we, all for the purpose of us, in this very moment, getting to be with him in his presence. And one day, all the, the actual, we actually see Jesus face to face and the Father and experience the Holy Spirit and just perfection. I, there's not even words. We've tried for centuries and millennia to describe this. Perfect love casts out all fear. We don't need to be afraid of the enemy, of our sin, of our failures. And even understanding that his mighty power is his love, still just mental assent until we actually experience it, right? Like, I mean, same with scripture. Scripture is just words on a piece of paper, absolutely inspired by the Holy Spirit. But until we read them empowered by his grace, they're just words on the paper, right? How many times have we read just words and like gave mental assent and acknowledgement? It's like, okay, that's great. But when we sit and let the word of God take us right before his face, and it's alive and piercing us and transforming us and changing us. So how, how do we stand in his love? Because if I can't, st- I mean, you're saying the same thing, Joe. You're just switching out power and love. I'm still not experiencing that. I can understand that. This is how we begin to experience his love and to stand on it. It is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We, meaning his, his followers, Christians, those that know Jesus, we, with unveiled faces, used to be veiled. There used to be a curtain between the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go in once a year. That mountain that Moses went up was one of fear and trembling. No one could even, no one wanted to go up, so they just sent Moses. It was terrifying. That's, that's all the old veiled way. There's no veil. We with unveiled faces, I mean all of us, with no hindrances, get to enter into his presence. Beholding his glory as he transforms us into the very image of his son. So to stand in his power, to stand in his love simply means Turning our eyes upon him. And isn't that the trick? For, isn't that the difficulty for all of us? Because I know for me, most of my day is not gazing upon his glory. I mean, sometimes I'm driving, so I shouldn't be gazing upon his glory. But most of my day, if I'm really being honest, is looking at this thing, looking at this situation, looking at this frustration, looking at this worry, looking at this problem, 
mostly, right? For all, I think, I mean, maybe that's just how I'm aware. I'm mostly looking at what's going on around here. And if I can just pull my gaze from these things and see him and see his eyes and see his beauty and his glory and experiencing his love, all of these momentary light afflictions that I'm so consumed with become so small. And to take it even further, that's not even the most amazing part. The most amazing part of this pulling our gaze away from the things of this world and onto him is we realize his gaze never left us. That he was always looking upon us. His eye never left me. Never once has he forsaken me. I have forsaken him countless times. But he never turned his eyes away from me, from you. That is unconditional love. And we have not experienced that anywhere else. And if you have not tasted and seen his goodness, if you've not tasted his unconditional love, that is exactly what he wants you to experience today. Even in this moment, nothing, nothing, nothing is more powerful than the revelation of his unconditional love for us. It encompasses the whole gospel. So we look up and realize his eyes have been locked on us the whole time. This is so, so powerful. This is what enables us to stand in his love, is that he first loved. When that becomes the central part of our identity, that's really bridal love like nothing else. He is the groomsman. Nothing, or he is the groom. Nothing, nothing, nothing comes between him and his bride. In preparing this message, I feel like the Lord has a question for each of us. Before I say what I feel like that question is, I'm going to tell a story. Uh, last weekend, I got to go up to a conference with a whole bunch of our young adults. We went up to uh, First Free Church in Onalaska. For those of you who know that that church, that's where Pastor Shane Holden is, and one of his pastors, John Reiner does this conference, is their second year, it's called Focus Conference, and just in January is when I was transitioned and moved and assigned to uh, be the young adults pastor, and just about a month in, I was like, okay, Lord, we need to, we should go somewhere as a team, like 2 Corinthians 3.18 is our banner verse for the young adults, this is what we are setting our hearts and minds to, to behold his glory, that he'll change us and transform us into the image of his son, that our love and our behavior would represent and look just like him more and more and more. And so I'm like, God, we got to do something. Like, you know, we, we just got to do something as a group. And so I was like, well, maybe go down to IHOP, maybe go down to Upper Room. I was just like, where could we go? And then Pastor John messaged me like the next day or two days later, and he's like, hey, we got a conference I'm doing. It's a worship conference. It's called Focus. 
And, uh, and it's free. It's like, we're coming. <laughs> That's it. We're coming. And uh, so it was this last weekend, and it was Friday night, and then a lot of the day Saturday. And logistically, like, originally I wanted to go down Friday night, and we'd get hotel rooms, and, you know, we were looking at, at that and trying to figure that out, and there was, like, this huge beer fest, so hotel prices were jacked up that weekend. We're like... And trying to just logistically organize young adults is like herding cats. And so we're just like, we're just like, let's just go Saturday. That's easier. And so great. We're doing that. And we're going to have to leave here at 6 a.m. on Saturday. And so we'll meet at the church quarter of 6, early morning, you know, okay, that's fine. And we'll go up there for the day and it'll be great. Well, Friday comes along and Friday's typically my day off. And I had all these outdoor projects in October, we moved into a home, and there's just all this outdoor landscaping and need to build a shed, all this stuff. And so I have a shed sitting in my garage that needs to be assembled. And uh, I was like, good, I can start working on this stuff, and, and it, but it's raining, and it's still cold. And so I was like, wow. I have coffee, and sitting talking with Ash, and, and I was like, well, in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe I just, I like movies. Maybe it'll be a movie day. I've watched all my favorite movies like a hundred times, but 101, I don't have a problem with that. And, uh, but then I was like, hey, babe, what if, what if I go up to Alaska today, this afternoon drive up, I could go to the night session and I'll just come home, I'll get home at like midnight and then I'll just get up at 4.30 and, and we'll just... You know, I'll be exhausted, but it'll be, it'll be awesome. And she's like, and I was like, oh, and I'll call you on my way home so you can, like, keep me awake so I don't drive off the road and crash into a fiery mess. And she's like, not staying up with you, honey, on the phone. Sorry. But go, have fun. <laughs> so, and then I was just texting with Pastor Nate, just about whatever, and, and uh, he's like, oh, hey, you mind if I come with you? I was like, oh, yeah, dude, please, that would be awesome. And uh, so we meet up, and we're driving up. And, you know, it's still two-plus hours, and we're just talking about life, you know. We're, we both have younger kids. We're both ministry, love ministry, hate ministry all at the same time. I mean, hate is the wrong word, but there's like the dynamics of this is amazing. This is really hard. This is confusing. This, and just like those questions and like, so we're just talking about life and our frustrations of why we are the way we are. <laughs> it actually was just one big John Christ episode, to be honest. It was just like we just made fun of ourselves the whole way up. It was awesome. We get up there and the message literally spoke to everything we were talking about. And then all day Saturday, the same thing. But it spoke to us in such a way, for me, that it was like affirming all my frustrations. Like, yes, this is off in you, Joe. This is off in how the things you're saying and doing, like it does, one plus one is not equal two in, in your life right now. And so instead of it being like, Joe, all of your thoughts are wrong and you're just dark and spiraling and being negative, was like, no, this is spot on and you need to change this in you, in your thinking. Which was awesome to, like, oh, I'm right, good, okay. I'm glad someone laughed, thank you. And it was just so affirming, and it just touched me so much. But 
where I'm going with this is the message that Pastor John shared was out of this park, out of the park, just out of this world. He's sharing and he's talking about the Ephesians church, the Ephesian church. I'm like, oh, I'm giving a message next Sunday, closing a whole series on Ephesians. Awesome. This is great. What a coincidence. But he wasn't in Ephesians. And there's one other place in the Bible that talks about the Ephesians church. And this is what God says to that Ephesians church. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. This is very, very good. I'm like, I'm liking this, yes. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Also a very good affirmation, going the right way. That you have tested those that claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. Also a huge undertaking. Good job. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Dude, these guys have been climbing the mountain. They have been contending. They are doing the work of evangelists. They're pastoring well. They're protecting. This is amazing. Go church in Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. You have forgotten the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This question I feel the Lord is asking us is the same question Pastor John asked each of us. And I feel like he's asking each one of us in this room, especially if you're in ministry, especially if you're a pastoral staff in this church. And he's asking me, Joe, do you love me or did you love me? Do you right now love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or did you love me? Because, buddy, I know you did. When I, when I pulled you out of the fires of hell, when, when your life was a poop storm and a dumpster fire, I pulled you out and put you on my lap and you loved me. Oh my goodness, you cooed like a little child, like a baby. You loved me. Do you still love me? You did love me, but do you still love me? Joe, when, you, when I called you into ministry and put you in, in junior high and youth ministry, you loved me and you were ready and you, your heart was all in because you loved me. Do you still love me? Or do you love all the things I'm doing for you? Do you love me or do you just do, love the things I do? Our greatest list of accomplishments and victories and deliverances and kingdom work does not mean we currently are loving him. We know very graphically what the Lord says our greatest works are to him. The only way 
we can behold his glory and stand in his love and be victorious as if we return to first love. Everything else is religion. Everything else is performance. We need to return. And I guess maybe you are totally returned. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're first, and you're, you're here and you're like, bro, I just got saved last week and I am on fire. Or I've been serving the Lord for 50 years and I'm on fire. That is awesome. Only you can answer that question. Do you love me? Or did you love me? But, but the call, the response, is not the warrior cry to get in the game. It's the desperate call to our lover that we love so much that we're coming back to him and him alone. first love we come back into the freedom that you give us as we just gaze upon your beauty and your glory that all the strongholds begin to melt away all of the lies begin to lose their power because in your very eyes we see ourselves we see your eyes sparkling with love and compassion and ferocious jealousy for us Lord would you make this unconditional love that you have so tangible a reality in all the areas that it's not right now. And that it's not all going to get immediately better. It's just not, it's not a magic wand that you wave and now everything's fine. It's, it just doesn't matter because we're with you. It just doesn't matter because we're so enthralled with your beauty and your goodness. And we can breathe your fresh air we can breathe again and be at rest and be in peace. We love you, Jesus. We love you above and so far beyond all the things you do for us and give us. We say thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you how you clothe us in righteousness and bless us like kings and queens and and lavish us with all sorts of natural blessings. But we lay all those down. They're just, they just don't matter compared to your goodness and your love for us. You are our prize. You are our great reward, Jesus. For real. For real. Nothing else matters. Lord, would you continue to transform us as we come into your presence, as we come into your presence again tonight to um, contend for more of your presence, to 
contend for that revival fire to burn in our hearts, to go out and to love this city and win this city. Transform us, God. Every time we come into your presence, just make us look a little more like you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have our hearts. Amen.